Hello, and welcome to the Pricing for the Planet podcast, the podcast that explores the intersection of business and sustainability. Today, I'm super excited because I'm with Ron John Tilly, an expert in remanufacturing. So, Ron, in this podcast, we like to start from the end. So, what would be the key message you want the listeners to remember after this podcast? Well, uh, again, I've been remanufacturing for 45 years plus and have seen multiple industries uh, from the military to the uh, commercial uh, machine environment. And focusing on that, I'm not talking about consumers, a little uh, different in regards to remanufacturing. But the message I like to live is that remanufacturing has been around for 100 years. All right. Uh, it's been used in virtually every single uh, capital uh, equipment uh, marketplace very effectively. Uh, and it's a huge business in the United States. It's a hundred uh, billion dollar a year business on the spend for employed uh, in the spend on re the remanufacturing process itself. That's that's huge. Uh, but if you ask most NGOs, most uh, academicians, uh, most politicians, they're clueless on it because they've created their own language, which is strange to me because, you know, we've been doing it for a hundred years. Why are they recreating a language that exists today in industry? It's a very profitable uh, business. Uh, in the United States alone, there's $10 trillion of commercial machines on the balance sheet, American industry. And on an annual basis, uh, they spend about $100 billion a year for the remanufacturing uh, processes, which is a lousy 1% yeah. of the installed base. So the potential is huge down the road in regards to expanding this. And again, there's business model after business model been around for uh, 100 years. Actually, the, the best business model is... If people know who Howard Hughes was, an eccentric billionaire of uh, several generations ago, uh, they created the ultimate remanufacturing model. They printed money as a result of that. And his father had a patent for the drill bit for uh, going through solid rock for oil exploration. And he, the whole, the whole program was he never sold his bits. He leased it and remanufactured them on a continuous basis, all right? And that was in 19, uh, 1911, I think. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, so that's how Yesterday. we uh, But anyway, the point is that uh, that's a message. There's huge opportunities, highly profitable, usually two to three times more profitable and as a profit margin uh, than the selling of products. Super clear. Thanks, Ron. And maybe you know, let, let, let's start. Uh, let's start with uh, who you are, and and maybe a quick reminder of what is remanufacturing, in case someone in the audience is not fully aware of what it is. Well, I, I've spent my whole uh, my whole career, uh, almost fifty years now, uh, in uh, the whole aftermarket area, from aerospace to construction to computers. And I've worked extensively with the military. The military actually have the, they're the single uh, largest remanufacturer in the world. 
United States uh, military, all all four services, they have uh, they spend uh, about uh, probably about thirty billion dollars a year on the remanufacturing of uh, weapon systems. So I've I've had a lot of experience. Uh, even my MBA was a concentration in logistics, which deals with uh, sustaining uh, any kind of commercial uh, machine, and I've been, I've run an aerospace uh, division and I've done, uh, you know, consultings. I, I've taught, I've done a lot of research. So my whole life's been focused on this. It's sort of like an obsession <laughs> and remanufacturing uh, is, is one of my sub, uh, sub obsessions. All right. Uh, but what I want people to remember the most is what is remanufacturing? People use different terms, remanufacturing, overhaul, refurbishment. Uh, rebuild. It's a lot of terms, but basically it's a process in which a product is inducted into a process. It's disassembled. Uh, parts are replaced. They're tested. Uh, they're actually uh, cleaned. Uh, and the item is reassembled where the reliability of that product and its performance is equal to or better than that of a new product. Right. And that could be you can include upgrades in there. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do uh, during as a, and it's then reinducted into the supply chain. That's what remanufacturing is. Super clear. And, and what's funny, we, we keep talking about, you know, being more sustainable, you know, greener future for the next generation. And remanufacturing is playing a huge role into this potential greener future. Can you maybe explain why remanufacturing could be a great solution for a more sustainable world? Well, for example, uh, automobiles, right? Uh, they, can, they were, there's actually several models that were designed to be remanufactured that extended the life of an automobile for 30 years, all right? For example, if you're in London, the Leland taxis, the classic taxis, Those were actually designed to be remanufactured. And that's why they look, you know, what they do is you put a couple hundred thousand kilometers on it and then it goes into a shop. It's totally disassembled, put back together, upgraded, and upholsteries are all cleaned up and you re-entered into the, the taxi fleet. In the U.S., we had Marathon Manufacturing was the famous checkered uh, taxi. The same thing. It was designed. Most of the taxis look brand new, though they were 30 years old. All right. Uh, those models around. Can you imagine if we did that in the automobile industry, what the impact would be on a global point of view? It would dwarf the whole concept of EVs, because what you do is you 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 shift instead of spending 80, 80 on them uh, on materials and, you know, automation, you would change everything where you just would disassemble it. It would all be labor intensive. You wouldn't be using that much materials. So, I mean, this, this is where it drives me, you know, crazy. The lack of understanding of the politicians and the academicians and what could happen if you simply change the business model. All right. Uh, EV, all EVs are, it's the same business model. You build, you, you, yeah. you buy stuff, you build it. And you launch it, but it's nothing different than the ICE model. All right? mm -hmm. So that's where I, you know, I, I just, I'm just flabbergasted with the lack of understanding of uh, the world out there. 
and run it's 100% aligned with you. One question though, it's uh, because we talked about automotive industrial equipment. Do you have example of you know multiple companies and multiple industries which applied remanufacturing successfully? Virtually every single segment of the commercial machine sector has successfully done it. I'll give you a perfect program. I was working with a, a large uh, commercial uh, construction machine uh, OEM. All right, we were the what we found was that uh, in the past, and they used channels of distribution. So the OEM sold it to a distributor, who then sold it to a construction outfit. Uh, but what was finding out that a lot of the construction outfits didn't need to buy the machine full time. So they wanted to rent. So a lot of the distributors, so they bought it from the OEM, distributors created a daily rental pool and then rented the equipment. The problem was that that uh, equipment would get beat up in daily rental pools. So what we did with the OEM, we developed this great exchange program. So the distributors, after a rental unit was used for three or four years, they would swap it with the OEM, with a remanufactured unit, same unit. So we developed a pool. It was very, very uh, successful. That's That was one, okay? Remanufacturing, for example, uh, in the aerospace industry, they call it overhaul, I think, mm -hmm. all right? Uh, there's only uh, two industries that have legal terms for the process of remanufacturing. You have aerospace. It's called overhaul. That's a that's a legal definition, and it's overseen by the aeros the uh, aviation authorities. All right, and they call it overhaul, but it's remanufacturing. They bring it back to a like like new. It's required by law every uh, every X amount of hours or or years of usage. So you have that, and you have the atomic uh, atomic plant environment where there's things that have to be uh, overhauled. All right. So they don't even use the term remanufacturing, but it is remanufacturing. It's the same thing. All right. So you have the construction industry is big. About 50% of all new construction machines now are going into daily rental pools. All right. Yeah. So you're starting to see, you see that. In the medical uh, area, they're starting to uh, uh, remanufacture. Well, another big user of remanufacturing uh, is the... Uh, the chip manufacturing industry, okay, like oh. um, uh, the uh, applied materials, for example, they they build these this, these machines for process to be put into the manufacturing process of making chips. Okay, these are huge fab plants that cost five, ten billion dollars. Okay, to build, but they have about a two-year life, two, three-year life. So what happens is uh, applied materials. After the plant is basically has to be reset for the new technology, all right, those machines are then actually remanufactured, repurposed, and sold to, for example, if the chips were, if the machines were basically focused on making chips for computers, they'll be sold to make chips for toys, all right, but they don't need the tolerance, all right, so they remanufacture, they make a lot of money uh, doing that, it's one of the secrets. One of one of the secrets in industry is you'll never see that in financial statements. It's all hidden. 
mm. by design because they're not required. It gets involved with, I don't know, I read financial statements all the time and I try to find little areas. But for example, uh, like Cummins engines, okay, they have a whole ma- remanufacturing program for engines, all right? The, the engine can be, you as the owner of the engine can send it in, it could be remanufactured and sent back to you. You could buy an engine that's been remanufactured, okay? Or you can exchange a machine, uh, an engine, all right? You give me your old engine, I'll give you a remanufacturing engine. You swap it. Those okay. are the three major ways that uh, remanufacturing, a remanufactured product enters a specific uh, solution. So it's, I mean, it, it's all over the place. And, you know, we have dozens and dozens, hundreds of different business units of conglomerate. You know, most OEMs are uh, conglomerates. So they all have uh, that. And in Europe also, I mean, you're starting to see that uh, in uh, in Europe, uh, Renault, uh, Stella, Stellasis, what's that? Stellantis, uh, yeah. Yes. They have remanufacturing uh, centers now. All of them are developing remanufacturing centers. And I, I wrote a paper for Society of Automotive Engineers about how to convert uh, the auto industry in, focused on remanufactured uh, cars, uh, light vehicles, versus uh, selling new. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it pretty good. It got, it got pretty good uh, reviews. So anyway, so there's a lot of examples. No, yeah, and, and what I like, and I think that's where a lot of people are mistaken. It's they think about remanufacturing for planes or cars, but you mentioned, you know, medical industry, nuclear industry, it, you it, know, it, chips, and, and I think that's that's where we need a lot more awareness around remanufacturing, a lot more awareness on remanufacturing related business models. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's you. The biggest remanufacturers are actually engine overhaul. Okay, that's uh, that that's about in globally, it's probably a twenty billion dollar a year business. Right? But the biggest single remanufacturer, one of the single biggest remanufacturers, is Caterpillar. They mm. spend, they generate about five to six billion dollars a year in remanufactured products. All right, yeah, it's that's huge. impressive. Okay, in the mining industry, I mean, you know, every single industry does remanufacturing, but you don't hear about it by all the academicians and the politicians, they don't talk about it. I'm just amazed. It just flabbergasts me. But anyway, life goes on. No, for sure. And and so quick one for you. If someone or if a company is intrigued by remanufacturing, what what would be your advice? Where to start? How can they set up a remanufacturing operation? Well, first of all, you have to develop a business model, okay, to show the value of remanufacturing, okay? Now, there's always a conflict because theoretically, remanufacturing takes away from the sale of new products, Yeah. okay? So I've confronted with that for years, and it's very simple to deal with it. Salespeople, all they care about is what their commission's going to be, okay? What mm. they're going to be for themselves. So think about this. If I'm selling a $100 machine and I get a 5% commission, okay, $5. But if I'm selling a remanufactured machine for, let's say, $300, I mean, uh, for, let's say, $70, which is about the ratio, and I get 5%, that's $3.50 instead of $5. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Mm. So what are you going to focus on if you're a salesperson? Of course, the expensive one. Okay. So what we didn't, and I've had this problem. So what I've done successfully is I change it because remanufactured products are two to three times more profitable than a new product. So what you do is simple. You change your commission rate. A remanufactured product, instead of having 5%, 10%. Yeah. Okay. So, so now, instead of getting $5, they get $7. Okay. All right. On the 10% of the $70. And all of a sudden, things change overnight. All of a sudden, they push remanufacturing. Yeah, and changing incentive is such a, an important part of you know being more sustainable. So fully, fully agree with you. Yeah, so it, it's very, it's not that hard, but you have to develop a, a detailed business model with an ability to go in front of leadership, the the chief financial officer, uh, marketing heads. Because marketing is going to fight it to a certain extent because you're taking, you're actually reducing revenue, but mm. revenue is irrelevant because what's relevant is profit, right? Yeah. Right. You, I mean, look at all these startups. I mean, they, tons of revenue, but they make no profit. They lose their shirts all the time. Uh, but remanufacturing can be very profitable if you're smart. And the biggest challenge is accounting. Did you know that? Financial accounting. So you can imagine you have a part, got a new condition part for, let's say, $100. You got a Overhaul a remanufactured part, and you can remanufacture parts, not the whole equipment. That's for seventy dollars. You have an item that's just been cleaned up and a couple things done on it, but not remanufactured. That may be worth fifty dollars. Then you have a part that's just been cleaned and is available again. That's thirty dollars. Okay. Now each one of those have different impacts on profitability and how you do that. Most accountants are clueless. They don't know how to deal with. So what happens is they do stupid things and there's all kind of a cruel accounting. I don't want to get too involved with it because it gets really into the weeds. But uh, a, a financial accountant will destroy a remanufacturing operation overnight. <laughs> they just don't get it. Uh, it's all managerial accounting. It's not financial accounting. All right. So, that you know, Fabian, there's a lot of issues there. And I've seen I've seen entire divisions destroyed by financial accounts. I've seen everything out there. All right. Anyway, wow. it's on. Okay. Eventually I'll die before this is all accepted, but it's it's okay. I'm patient. I hope not. I hope not, Ron. We we, we we need to crack that down, you know, very quickly. But but to summarize, so you would say key success factor number one is you know making sure that the incentives are properly aligned. And challenge number one, it's working with the financial department and accountants to make sure that it's creating value on for the company and on the balance sheet as well. That's exactly right. You have to do both and they have to be rigorous and tested and sold by the chief financial officer. All right. Has to buy, you know, you know, into it. Okay, yeah, super interesting. And it's strange because I would assume that actually it would be a good news for the CFO because if you think, for me, it was one of the aha moments. I was thinking about remanufacturing. Like if you are selling products, so on your balance sheet, is your, your, your production assets. But when you are doing remanufacturing, your, your balance sheets and your assets are you know way higher because you get all those assets back. And now the value of your company should be way higher. Well, 
then it gets involved with return on assets. Okay, there's a lot of financial metrics that can change, and the CFO is looking at that, especially if it's a publicly held company. All right. So a CFO is not against it as you as long as you can show they're focused on the profitability. All right. There's the investor community. Then your question is, should you expose the company's financial statements to the investment community in regards to how much you're spending on remanufacturing or how much you're selling? For example, you have several reports now in the United States and in Europe. Also, you have, you know, the financial uh, public company oversight entities in the United States. We have Security and Exchange Commission. Uh, but then you have the annual reports, which has nothing to do with the filings with the government. OK, that's basically telling people how great you are. OK, yeah. then you have a sustainability report. OK, we got three reports. They're not in sync at all. All right. The in the what's important for investors who are ultimately the people that will push uh, sustainability is virtually nothing. Yeah. There, all right. So the investment community doesn't see a lot of this stuff, all right. Uh, the annual reports they'll talk about, like Caterpillar, doesn't even I don't barely mentions it in their security exchange filings. In the annual reports, they talk about how many millions of tons of the of materials they save. In the sustainability report, they report they talk about that, but that's really for. All the nonprofit people, all the activists who want to get involved with sustainability, but all three reports should be blended together into one so that everyone's it's transparent. That's not the case right now. It's not the case. That's a and that's a major, a major, major problem. This whole sustainability effort. I don't like government edicts. Government in Europe, you know. In Europe, the philosophy is, if there's a law that allows me to do it, I'll do it. In the United States, I'll do whatever I want unless there's a law that limits me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sort of a, a different, uh, you know, different approach. So in Europe, they'll tend to use government edicts yeah. uh, to push this forward uh, versus the United States. It's, it's, it's a different philosophy. Super interesting. And and Ron, last question, almost like a philosophical question. What is something that most people believe to be true, but your experience suggests otherwise? Most people are totally ignorant about the profitability of industry. Okay. They're clueless. All right. Unless you're in it. You know, I ask people, because, you know, I have... I meet with family members or whatever, and they talk about profit. Oh, most companies make 50% profit, 60% profit. And I go, you're an idiot. All right. You know, most companies after taxes, especially the capital goods guys, you know, they're keeping maybe six to $8 for every hundred dollars. That's it. All right. It's not, you know, it's a hard game. And when there's a recession, they're losing money (laughs) and they keep on going. And they build up some of their debt and hopefully things will get you know better. But what's interesting about remanufacturing is that uh, you don't you don't you're much less recession uh, sensitive than new production. All right. So anyway, that's what you know, most people, you know, just they don't teach you in the schools, you know, the 
most people are ignorant. Uh, and I can, you know, when I talk to people with family members or whatever, after about 30 seconds, they start talking about football. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> bored. <laughs> they don't want to get involved. In it. But anyway, that's, that's what I would like to leave most people is dig down, do some di- deep diving, understand business models that are, have been out there for a century. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matter of fact, in the United States, remanufacturing the Supreme Court. There was one company that was so profitable. It was called uh, the um, uh, United uh, United Shoe Machinery Company. Uh, and what they did was they did they remanufactured all their shoe manufacturing machines. All right, and they. They controlled 95%. They were so profitable because they were so efficient in the remanufacturing of their products. They sold consumables. The Supreme Court busted them uh, in 1953. They were, I mean, that, the shoe manufacturing industry, where was the center of shoe manufacturing industry? In Massachusetts, United States, uh, yeah. where they had all the U- USMC's machines. And uh, the trust at that point, antitrust said, if you're hurting your competition, then we must punish you. All right. Now it's if you're not hurting the consumer. Yeah. Leave you alone. OK, that, that's that was a model. So anyway, that's why I leave with people. Just you see this uh, and things are changing, but very, very slow. They could change a lot faster if things changed out there. Perfect. Ron, thank you so much. Where can the audience find you? You mentioned a couple of articles. You wrote a great article in our book, Monetizing and Pricing Sustainability. Can they follow you on LinkedIn? Do you have a website? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So they could follow me there. And then if they wanted to contact me, they can use a message on there. All right. So I will make sure I will add in the comment section, Ron Juntini your LinkedIn profile. And if you want to continue the learning journey with us, you can go on www.pricingfortheplanet.com. We have a free newsletter called the Biweekly Digest, where we talked about all those topics. And a huge thank you again, Ron, for your expertise. And uh, we could have done this in French, right, Fabien? I I try to convince you because I know your French is awesome, but for the audience, I think they would be, they might be disappointed in French. (laughs) Anyway. All right. Have a great day and uh, we'll talk later. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks again, Ron. Bye.